We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. To Kevin McCarthy, the Intelligence Committee is just a political plaything. That was how Los Angeles Congress member Adam Schiff characterized Speaker McCarthy's plans to remove him from the committee he chaired. We sit down with Schiff to talk about how Democrats will operate under McCarthy's leadership, how he'll keep the work of the now disbanded Select Committee on January 6 alive, and his thoughts on the pressure building around Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat. Join us. Forum is next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Congress member Adam Schiff chaired the House Intelligence Committee during the Trump administration and led the former president's first impeachment trial and the Russian election interference investigation, making him a favorite target of Trump allies who now hold power in the House. Add to that, he was on the select committee investigating January 6, which recommended last month that the Department of Justice bring criminal charges against the former president. So how's the start of the term shaping up for Schiff and his fellow Democrats under Kevin McCarthy's leadership? We find out from Schiff himself. Welcome to Forum, Congressman. Uh, Thank you. It's great to be with you. I'm glad to have you. So the House Intelligence Committee has not yet officially formed, but Speaker McCarthy has been saying that he'll remove you from the committee you just chaired. Your response? Well, sadly, this was, I think, one of the early concessions McCarthy made to the Marjorie Taylor Greens of his conference. Uh, that is, in order to get their votes, uh, he would do what the most extreme elements of his membership want. And one of the things they wanted was to remove me from the ability uh, to do oversight, to hold them accountable. Um, this is not only, I think, uh, the interest of the Marjorie Taylor Greens, but uh, fundamentally uh, the, the interest of their party leader, Donald Trump. Um, and so McCarthy... Uh, is fundraising off of this. He is uh, bragging to his sort of right-wing viewer base on Fox about it, uh, dissembling about the reasons why. In fact, the Washington Post just uh, did an article today uh, castigating him over the false uh, allegations he's using to try to remove me from the committee. But but the, the more significant consequence, frankly, than what happens with my assignment on that committee uh, is turning the Intelligence Committee into some kind of a political plaything for Kevin McCarthy. Um, There are too many serious challenges facing the country at home and abroad uh, to be, uh, you know, mucking with our national security and the committee's responsible for it. But uh, but that appears to be what he's intent on doing. Well, you also strongly oppose this select subcommittee on the, quote, weaponization of the federal government. It's something that actually Republicans are now calling the church committee. You testified on the House floor last week, as we know well, to oppose 
the formation of it. Why do you oppose this committee so much? Well, first of all, um, the comparisons to the church committee could not be further from the truth. The church committee effort was a bipartisan effort to look at uh, previous abuses of the intelligence agencies and recommend bipartisan reforms. This is a just purely partisan creature, much like the Benghazi Select Committee, with a political objective. Um, And the title sort of gives it all away, uh, this Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. When I spoke on the House floor, one of the Republican members spoke before me, and much as you know, their their party line was this is going to be like the Church Committee, not a deep state conspiracy theory committee. Uh, Ryan Zenke, uh, the former uh, Trump Interior Secretary, uh, now a member of of the House, spoke right before me, and he said, "I'm glad we're going to be investigating deep state conspiracies because I was the victim of one." Uh, so this is exactly what they intend to use the committee for is to basically propagate these kind of QAnon conspiracy crazy theories. Uh, You saw the former president uh, on his social media today um, calling the FBI uh, the Gestapo uh, and those that are enforcing the law in the Justice Department Marxist thugs. Uh, This is what this committee is about. It's designed to investigate the investigators, to discredit the Justice Department, to help uh, their party leader, Donald Trump, escape accountability, Uh, And it's just another uh, terrible abuse of taxpayer resources. So how are Democrats then readying themselves for this? I'm sure you saw this coming, given the expectation that Democrats would lose the House in midterms, which they, of course, did. Uh, Well, we will uh, forcefully push back. Uh, We will um, make sure that uh, our members are ready to do so, that that we expose uh, the uh, manipulations of uh, this new committee and those on the Republican side who wish to use it to, to merely tear down uh, President Biden. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, when the Benghazi committee was uh, first proposed, uh, it was by then Kevin McCarthy, Speaker Boehner, who was uh, the speaker at the time, did not want another Benghazi investigation. We had already done uh, six or seven of them. I had done one in the Intelligence Committee that debunked all of these conspiracy theories. But Kevin McCarthy said, as he would later admit, that he wanted to do this because he wanted to tear down Hillary Clinton's numbers. Um, At the time, I urged uh, uh, Leader Pelosi um, not to participate in the committee. Elijah Cummings uh, urged that we make sure that we were represented in the room. And I have to say, Elijah was absolutely right. So then, Congress member, will you cooperate, say, with a subpoena? We know that you are a target of the GOP. Would you if they called you? I will certainly cooperate with any legitimate uh, process. Uh, I don't know that the Republicans have a legitimate process in mind. Um, So we'll we'll have to see whether this is just a vexatious effort uh, against the administration or myself. Uh, And without knowing, I don't want to uh, predict. But but I uh, think we all, members of Congress, have an obligation uh, where we have uh, important information uh, that goes to uh, a seminal issue uh, that we ought to provide voluntarily. Um, the problem that we had uh, with Republican members in the January 6th committee work is that they were involved in elements of the plot to overturn the election. They had very relevant evidence. Uh, we did subpoena them, uh, and notwithstanding that they had relevant evidence to an important investigation, uh, they simply refused. Um, and uh, I, I think that was an abdication of their mm-hmm. responsibility. Uh, but, you know, we're frequently put in the position of hey, there are, you know, you do a legitimate investigation. Um, what if they do an illegitimate one? Will you participate or, uh, in that? And that's continually the, the kind of conundrum that we face. 
Yeah, we have a comment from listener Greg who writes, when Representative Schiff says to Kevin McCarthy, the Intelligence Committee is just a political plaything, I hope he does realize that every Republican congressperson and Republican voter believe exactly the same thing about Rep Schiff and all the Dems. Obviously not everyone, but that is Greg's point of view. And he has a point here. I mean, what constitutes an illegitimate process, right? I assume that Republicans will follow the process, frame this as having a legislative purpose as required in terms of their investigations and subpoenas. And of course, they used legitimacy as the argument, as you say, when you were trying to get them to appear before January 6th. So it is pretty hard to make that distinction for the public. Oh, I don't think it's difficult at all. It's the difference between equivalence and false equivalence. There was no doubt we had a violent attack on the Capitol that needed to be investigated. Uh, There's no doubt, uh, as we demonstrated, that Donald Trump withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to an ally, Ukraine, in order to extort the leadership of that country to help him in his reelection campaign. Uh, And there's no doubt that the Russians interfered in the 2016 election uh, in order to try to determine who the president of the United States should be and and help the Trump campaign. Those are all legitimate uh, subjects of inquiry. Um, But uh, what the Republicans are proposing, by contrast, uh, is to investigate the investigators, for example, of Mar-a-Lago. Now, they had no interest, uh, apparently, most of them, uh, in what kind of classified information was at Mar-a-Lago. I called for an assessment by the intelligence community of the documents there. Um, Got very little help, I think, in the GOP um, for that request. Uh, they're very interested now in having uh, a fully investigation into Mar-a-Lago and the possession um, of documents by President Biden. I s- support the same thing I did with respect to Mar-a-Lago, and that is the IC should do an assessment of what documents were found and any danger they may pose to the national security. Um, I think that's what we should do. We should treat these situations equivalently, but I don't think we can accept a false equivalence that because Democrats did legitimate investigations Um, that somehow we have to accede to illegitimate ones. Uh, And as you point out, I think there are a great many Republicans who can recognize and do recognize the false equivalents and appreciate the work we did on the January 6th Select Committee and look at this new deep state conspiracy theory committee of the Republicans and are aghast. But a lot of the people who believe those things now do wield significant power. McCarthy is naming his picks for other key committees. I think yesterday we learned that Marjorie Taylor Greene will be on the Homeland Security Committee and the House Oversight Committee. Of course, she was previously kicked off her committees for for violent, racist, and anti-Semitic remarks, and she voted against certifying the 2020 election. So I guess I have to ask you... (laughs) It sounds like you have a very strong view about how you will handle subpoenas and so on. But is there a strategy to work with more mainstream Republicans to blunt the power of the people that I just mentioned, people that McCarthy caved to in part because Democrats did not make the strategic decision to try to do something related to him getting the speakership without their support? Are there conversations taking place right now about how to do that with more mainstream Republicans? You know, there, I think there's always been an interest, and and, uh, and in fact, not just an interest, but a, a, but a reality of Democrats working with Republicans to get responsible things done. Uh, we passed a massive uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill 
after four years of Donald Trump uh, and uh, so-called infrastructure week without any infrastructure, we passed bipartisan legislation uh, to get that done. Um, that kind of work will, I hope, continue. Um, we're in a very different uh, kind of Alice in Wonderland world now, though, with uh, Speaker McCarthy beholden to the most extreme elements of his conference. Will they be interested in things that ought to be nonpartisan, like infrastructure, or will it be endless investigations of um, Hunter Biden's laptop or deep state conspiracy theories? Um, you know, sadly, it looks like it's going to be more of the latter. But uh, but I think we should um, look for every opportunity to move the country forward. In the Intelligence Committee, notwithstanding how polarized it was when Devin Nunes was the chair and later the ranking member, we nonetheless got the work of the committee done uh, each and every year uh, because it was too important not to get done. Uh, and so we compartmentalized our differences over Russia and Ukraine uh, and agreed that oversight of the agencies, making sure that uh, privacy and civil liberties protections were put in place, all of those things were too important to fall by the wayside. Um, and I, you know, I hope that we'll be able to do something similar and compartmentalize our differences, uh, but also make sure that the, the work of the country goes forward. Um, I, I will say that I'm desperately concerned about what's going to happen when we get close to the debt ceiling mm -hmm. because uh, Republicans intend to use the raising of the debt, that is the ability of the United States to pay its already incurred debts, uh, as a cudgel, uh, basically threatening the president uh, that if you don't do what we want to cut Medicare or cut Social Security, we're going to take the country over the cliff economically. Hmm. Um, that doesn't sound like a, a party that's looking to do anything constructive. Well, let's get into more on the debt ceiling after the break. We're talking with Congressmember Adam Schiff about how House Democrats will operate under Kevin McCarthy's leadership. And what would you like to ask the congressman? Email forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee and a member of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, which is now disbanded. He's also the author of Midnight in Washington, How We Almost Lost Our Democracy and Still Could. You, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What would you like to ask Congressmember Adam Schiff? You can post your questions on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email forum 
at kqed.org. Just before the break, we were talking about the debt ceiling, Congressman Schiff. And, of course, we know that uh, just the other day, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was saying that we could hit that limit as early as tomorrow. And there's talk of the extraordinary measures that will need to be put in place to try to avoid that. Republicans have adopted new rules that make it even harder to raise the debt limit without spending cuts. And this listener, Robert, writes, despite pleas, Democrats chose not to act to raise the debt ceiling during the lame duck session when they had the power to do so. Now, with Republicans serious about driving this economy off a cliff or else, what are Democrats doing at this late hour to prevent draconian cuts? Well, the reality is that it falls upon the governing party to make sure that the Congress can take up a bill to raise the debt ceiling uh, and not put the country in default. And just uh, because this is kind of an arcane concept uh, for most uh, most Americans, let me just explain that what the debt ceiling represents, it's like a limit on your credit card. Uh, when you get to the limit uh, in order to borrow more uh, to pay off your existing bills, uh, you call the credit card company and you ask if they'll raise the limit. Uh, here, the U.S. government through Congress sets a limit. And when you get to that limit, uh, in order to continue making even the interest payments on the debt, uh, you have to raise the debt limit or the debt ceiling. Um, it's about the debt you've already incurred. Uh, and it, it would uh, put the country into a fiscal crisis if we suddenly defaulted on our debt. Um, so this is what we're we're dealing with. And it would be... Uh, hugely irresponsible and I think economically catastrophic. The losses to the country's economy would be in hundreds of billions, if not trillions, uh, if Republicans take us down this path. Now, they control the agenda. Uh, We can't control whether they take up this bill uh, or whether they even let their own members vote on it. And I think some of the Republicans would vote for a clean debt ceiling, as would I think probably every Democrat. Um, So we'll do our part. We'll put up our votes um, the question is, will they do their part? Uh, or did Kevin McCarthy essentially, if not literally, but nonetheless essentially commit to taking us over this fiscal cliff yeah. so that he could get the title speaker? Which is before the break, what you suggested he probably did. Will you agree to spending cuts? Would you vote for spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling? Uh, I agree with the Biden administration. I don't think we negotiate um, using the country's already existing debt, uh, and the threat of economic catastrophe. I don't think we can allow ourselves to be taken hostage that way by the Republicans. So the Biden administration has said, no, uh, we're not going to negotiate over this. Um, we just need a clean bill to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, and that's my view, too. I don't think we engage in negotiations over this. We do what every other responsible Congress has done, uh, and we pay our bills. Yeah, but that's a pretty strong position. It sounds like we're headed toward brinkmanship. Well, only headed towards brinksmanship if the Republicans sort of deviate from the historic practice and decide they're willing to threaten economic oblivion for the country, uh, devastate uh, Americans and their investments and their jobs um, in order to uh, foist an extreme agenda on the country. Um, I don't think anybody wants that. And um, and so uh, it is in their hands, though. We will put up the votes to raise the debt ceiling, um, but we don't have the majority of votes. And so... They will need to do so, uh, or they will bear the consequences for what they do to the country. 
Earlier, you brought up the documents issue related to President Biden, and it's become a really politically potent issue. Several documents marked as classified were found at President Biden's Delaware home and his D.C. think tank at different times. You remarked on Saturday that we can't rule out that they pose a national security risk. Can you say more about what you meant by that? Well, I I think that whenever classified documents are somewhere they shouldn't be, there is a risk um, that uh, people had access to them that shouldn't have access to them. Uh, And that's why the prudent thing to do is the intelligence community will do what they call a damage assessment. They will look at the documents. uh, They will determine where they were and who had access potentially uh, and what the risks would be if they had been compromised. And then they'll take steps to mitigate those risks. So if, for example, a document um, could reveal the source of information, and that's a human source, that human source's life may be put at risk. So they'll take steps to protect that human source or to protect a technical source if it involves a technical uh, kind of collection. Uh, That's what I think we need to do here. I don't think we presume um, uh, either conclusion, uh, but we do the assessment and take whatever appropriate steps are necessary to protect our national security and protect those sources. Yes. There's already been distinctions drawn by the mainstream press between the Biden document situation and the Mar-a-Lago situation where Trump knowingly held documents and refused to turn them over. But many Republicans are seizing on this, drawing an equivalency between the situations. How concerned are you that conflating these incidents will result in Donald Trump getting a pass from the Department of Justice? Well, you know, as a legal matter, um, whatever the situation is with the documents uh, that were associated with the former vice president, now president of the United States, it shouldn't impact as a legal matter the former president's liability for the documents that he had at Mar-a-Lago. And more significantly, as you point out, and this is really, I think, the primary distinction between these two cases, the most significant distinction there's, there's no sign of intentionality on Biden's part. That, that is, no sign that he intended to have documents somewhere they wouldn't, uh, they shouldn't be, uh, and every indication that uh, he has cooperated and turned them over as soon as they were found. By contrast, Donald Trump insists that these are his property. He was asked for them. He refused to give them. He was subpoenaed. He didn't give many of them. Uh, they had to do a search warrant and found many, many more. Um, They made false statements that they turned everything over when they hadn't. Uh, That is a very, very different situation. Uh, And and when the Justice Department reviews those facts, uh, it shouldn't matter as a legal matter. Now, will it matter uh, as a practical matter? That's the bigger question because one of the things the Justice Department has to do is not only apply the law equally but also avoid any appearance of of impropriety. Uh, And this is part of why – Republicans are drawing this false equivalence. They want to make it very difficult for the Justice Department to follow the evidence where it leads, if it leads to Donald Trump, mm. by promoting these this false equivalency. Well, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed special counsel Robert Hur to investigate Biden's handling of the documents, even though, as you say, in Biden's case, he was voluntarily cooperating. What can you tell us about Robert Hur, what do you think about him as the special counsel appointed last week? Uh, I don't uh, personally know either of the special counsel um, that have been appointed, but you know I think uh, their reputations certainly uh, appear solid, uh, and I think it was the right decision by the attorney general to appoint special counsel in both cases. And I will say that in the case of um, Donald Trump, 
January 6th and Mar-a-Lago, particularly Donald Trump's role on January 6th, I have for for years now, literally, um, been very critical of the Justice Department for the incredibly slow pace of investigation. Uh, in in terms of the former president's role, for example, in the insurrection, uh, and not just the insurrection, but multiple lines of effort to overturn the election, uh, the fake elector plot, uh, his call with the Georgia Secretary of State, essentially demanding you find 11,780 votes that don't exist. These actions should have been under investigation by the Justice Department from the beginning, and many of them weren't. Uh, they moved very quickly when it came to those who attacked the building and maimed police officers and, and brutalized uh, law enforcement on January 6th. But in terms of the higher-ups, those who organized, uh, those who incited, uh, those who used other efforts to overturn a free and fair election, um, Congress was way ahead of the Justice Department in its investigation. In Georgia, a local district attorney has been way ahead of the Justice Department in the investigation of the president's misconduct in Georgia. And that shouldn't be the case. Uh, and so um, I'm glad these special counsel were appointed. I wish it hadn't taken so long uh, in the case of the special counsel dealing with January 6th in Mar-a-Lago. But uh, I think uh, the decision to appoint both was the right decision. How are you planning on keeping the message of the January 6th committee alive now that it's disbanded? That's a you know very good question. Um, one of the probably least um, noticed parts of our report was the section on our recommendations. That is, how do we prevent this from happening again? How do we protect our democratic institutions? Um, and much like the 9-11 Commission, which similarly uh, in its report came up with any number of recommendations, um, none of them were law. Very few of them, uh, at least, were law um, when the commission finished its initial report and in business. The same is true here. We did accomplish a partial reform of one of our recommendations in the passage of a reform to the Electoral Count Act. But there's so many other steps we need to take uh, to protect the country. And what I have proposed to our members, I don't know if we'll do this, is that we – excuse me <coughs> – uh, is that we um, continue to champion these reforms uh, even after the committee has been disbanded until they're made into law. Hmm. Well, Congressman Schiff, let's let you get some water and let me just read a couple of comments that we're getting from listeners. Again, we're talking with Adam Schiff, Los, Ang- Los Angeles Congress member, and you, our listeners, can join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786, by emailing forum at kqed.org, or finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Sue writes, I think the Democrats in Congress brought this on themselves. They could have had 20 or so center-leaning Democrats vote for McCarthy on the first ballot for Speaker, and he wouldn't have had to give in to demands from his far right wing. I'm a centrist registered as a declined estate and wish those in the center of both parties would get together and govern instead of this current attitude of party above common sense. Does Sue have the right read here? Did Democrats strategically decide not to engage in this and just watch him flail, McCarthy flail for 15 rounds or 14 rounds rather? You know, I very much appreciate the sentiment uh, that your listener described. Uh, And I think there is such a broad need... (laughs) Excuse me. Got a bit of laryngitis. And the longer I talk, the worse it gets. Um, (laughs) But um, there is, I think, a legitimate need for people of goodwill on both sides to come together to get things done. Um, Now, you have to have a willing partner to do that. 
And in the Democratic caucus, there is no trust in Kevin McCarthy. Um, and so hmm. the idea that we would come to the rescue of someone that, frankly, our members find completely untrustworthy uh, was something we were just not going to entertain. Um, you know, I certainly hope that they would move beyond McCarthy and nominate someone else. Um, if, you know, if they have deeply conservative views, that's fine. Um, but they ought to be someone of some integrity uh, in order to run the Congress. You know, I'll tell you, um, my first interaction with Ken McCarthy, and, and this kind of um, illustrates uh, why so many Democrats and Republicans have no trust for him. Uh, this was, you know, the major problem he had within his own conferences. They don't trust him any more than we do. Uh, we sat next to an airplane, each other on an airplane in 2010, flying to Washington. Uh, just by coincidence, we were seated together. And we had a completely inconsequential conversation about who was going to win the 2010 midterms, which were six months away. I said Democrats. Uh, he said Republicans. Um, it was pretty uneventful. And we landed and we went our separate ways. He then went off and gave a briefing to the press in which he told the press that Republicans were definitely going to win the midterms. He said everybody knows it. He just sat next to Adam Schiff on the plane on the way to Los Angeles. And even Adam Schiff said Republicans would win the midterms. Mm, I remember And story. I wow. was um, incredulous. And I rushed up to him and I said, Kevin, first of all, we're having a private conversation. I would have thought it was a private conversation. But if it wasn't, you know, I said the exact opposite of what you told the press. And this was his answer. Yeah, I know, Adam, but you know how it goes. And I said, Kevin, no, I don't know how it goes. Um, you just make stuff up and that's how you operate. Because that's not how I operate, but that is how he operates. And so he was not a suitable candidate for, I think, any of us uh, to want to um, partner with so that he could uh, get the title speaker. Um, I think if they had failed uh, to um, nominate other speakers, uh, then there would have been a discussion about um, whether there was someone that, that uh, was acceptable. Um, but, uh, but there's just no trust for Kevin McCarthy. I see. I see. Well, let me go to Amar in Oakland. Amar, thanks for waiting. You're on. Thank you so much for your time. Um, my question is about the debt ceiling. And, and my question is, a lot of the conversation from our leaders across the nation has been whether or not we should uh, raise the debt ceiling or face the dire consequences. And my question is, well, when, when are we going to address the debt? Who is responsible to address the debt? Mm. And, and when shall that, uh, you know, when, when should that be? And yeah. Amar, thanks. Uh, it's a great question. And you know, Treasury just said, as you pointed out, um, that we're going to hit the debt ceiling any day now. Uh, now, there are kind of creative um, uh, practices that the Treasury Department can use uh, to avoid, when we get to that deadline, having a default. But you can only do that for so long. Um, and probably the longest we can do that would be until the summer. Uh, we shouldn't wait until then to try to solve this. Um, you know, what Democrats can do is we can vote to raise the debt ceiling, and I'm confident that we will. That's the responsible thing to do. Um, but but we don't have enough votes to do it ourselves. And so the Republicans are going to need to put up some votes uh, in order for us to avoid this economic catastrophe. Um, and they're just going to have to do it. Uh, otherwise, they're going to just take this country to economic ruin. Um, now, I, I would 
would say that, you know, for those that might criticize Democrats, that criticism would be warranted if we took the position, as Republicans often have, that when the other party's in power, it's their obligation to raise the debt ceiling, and therefore none of us are going to vote for it. So if, if all Democrats said, no, you're governing, you need to do this, we're not going to help at all, we're not going to vote for this, um, then yes, we would, I think, be the subject of legitimate criticism. But, uh, but if we're willing to put up our votes um, because it's the right thing to do for the country, and it, it most definitely is the right thing to do for the country and our economy and for jobs, then, then they ought to put up at least enough votes, uh, which won't require many, uh, to avoid a default. Yes, but one last cue on this. Dave writes, Although I have great respect for Adam Schiff... I did not hear an answer to the question of why the Democrats did not raise the debt ceiling while they held the majority. Well, I, I certainly would have supported uh, raising the debt ceiling uh, while we were in the majority. I would have supported and would support our doing away with the debt ceiling. Um, in fact, we have imposed this requirement on ourselves. Uh, it doesn't suit, as far as I can tell, any legitimate purpose. Yes. But uh, as such a powerful member, forgive me, uh, yeah. Congressman Schiff, in the Democratic majority, why didn't they muster the political will to do it? Well, I think what we were focused on uh, when we had that narrow majority was passing the Inflation Reduction Act, passing bipartisan infrastructure, passing gun safety, passing innumerable bills to move the country forward. Uh, and yes, we didn't uh, take up a debt ceiling bill, but we, I think, had one of the historically most productive Congresses on record. And uh, and so I think we did awfully good when we had the majority. Mm. Los Angeles Congressmember Adam Schiff. Listeners, here's your chance to ask Congressmember Adam Schiff questions by calling 866-733-6786, emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow, after a five-decade career, Judy Woodruff, who just stepped down as the anchor of PBS NewsHour, joins us. What would you like to ask her? Leave a voicemail, 415-553-3300. Today, Congressmember Adam Schiff is with us, former Intelligence Committee chair, member for the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. So what would you like to ask him? 866-733-6786 is the number. Let me go to Victoria in Walnut Park. Hi, Victoria. 
Hi, it's not Walnut Park. It's a Rohnert Park. Rohnert Park. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just, this is how it was well, written on my call screen here. Uh, Thank uh, you for the I'm correction, sorry. Victoria. Rohnert Park. Tell us, well, what would you like to ask? It happens to be relevant to my to, to the content. That's why that's why yeah. I corrected you. Great. Um, when I, first of all, I heard an intelligent voice that had um, excellent intention, and I said, "Oh, I think that's Adam Schiff." So I said, "Yeah, that is Adam Schiff." So anyway, I'm delighted to have him on the show. Hi, Mr. Schiff. Hi. And um, I read your book, Midnight in Washington. Well, I listened to it. My eyes I don't read anymore, but. Um, and I called your office because I'm so desperate for constituency help, which they do not offer where I live. It would never even occur to them. And your office was so respectful, and they knew what constitu- they knew the meaning of the word, and it was just amazing. Um, they, but they couldn't help me because you guys are so far away, and you didn't know any people here. But like, what I want to make a point is this. Um, you know, I live in an area that considers itself Democrat, you know, the politicians, etc. And in my particular district, for seven years, I've tried to get constituency help with zero success. There's superciliousness, there's menacing, there's yelling at me, but no constituency help. And a group of us senior citizens tried to get help with a horrible problem we were having with abuse. Nobody cared. I want to say something to you. You say in your book, um, look, guys... You know the constituency thing is important. People get left out; they they fall through the whole, through the through the gaps in the net or whatever. And you want to know why Trump is winning? You want to know why that nutcase Marjorie is in there? Because people are are being abandoned. They're being thrown out to die. You know, right now I I go to sleep with my throat tied. I'm so frightened about something. But there's no place to turn. And I'm a child of the civil rights era. I mean, when I was nine years old, I, I went with my mom to Washington for yeah. civil rights. We have no, there's no place to turn and so well, Victoria, stop voting. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I think we, we hear your point in terms of a better job that it sounds like Democrats could be doing to be able to respond to their constituents. But the relationship... Congressmember Schiff? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, thank you for your comments and... And thank you for the kind words. Um, I think constituent service is really the heart of the job as a representative. Uh, and that is understanding what your constituents need and being their champion um, to get the, the help that they need. Uh, and I, But I think your broader point is a, an extremely important one. And this is a point I've made often over the last several years um, and really sort of the, the center of my focus in Congress and that is the threat to our democracy that you describe with the rise of the autocrats uh, and sympathy for, for uh, authoritarian uh, government that we see here at home, but we also see it around the world, uh, is directly related to failures in our economy and the fact that the economy is simply not working for everyone. When millions of people around the country, uh, and, and including millions in California, feel like their quality of life is in decline, uh, and that the future for their children looks even more in doubt, then they become amenable to a demagogue who comes along and says that he alone can fix it. Um, And so these issues to me, uh, the functioning uh, or more malfunctioning of our economy uh, and the perilous state of our democracy are absolutely one and the same. If a democracy doesn't deliver for its citizens, as you're describing, then people start to look for alternatives. And so... I think we need to just address these persistent inequities in our economy. 
in which people who are doing well are doing super well, uh, and people who are doing uh, poorly are uh, are falling through the cracks. Uh, there's a reason. There are many reasons, but but yeah. one in particular why so many Californians and so many Americans are homeless, and it's because the economy hasn't produced enough. Uh, you know, jobs with livable wages that allow people to keep a roof over their head. And as long as that's the case, um, whatever we do to try to deal with these problems on, you know, in one location or another is not going to be enough. So, number one, we need to be responsive to the needs of our constituents. But number two, we need to address these profound economic inequities that have left so many people vulnerable um, uh, to a demagogue. Well, listener Nadine writes, as a longtime fan of your mature, responsible, collaborative leadership style, please please tell us that you're considering a run for Ms. Feinstein's seat. The country, and not just the Democrats, deserves you. Will you run for senator of California? I'm not ready to make any announcement today. Uh, I am certainly considering it, and we'll have more to say about that, I hope, soon. Um, but I, I very much appreciate the sentiment. Um, you know, my sense of what people really are looking for, and and you know, it's they're looking for a return to normalcy. Um, they're looking for uh, an end of the chaos. Um, they they want to be able to earn a decent living. They want to be able to live in a safe neighborhood. And I think they're desperate for people who will try to roll up their sleeves and get that done. Uh, who will look at what has been tried and failed and stop investing in it and look at what might be done uh, and put put our back into it. Um, there's no reason why our country and our state can't have another 100 years of leadership and prosperity. Um, what has been broken is our form of governance. Uh, and I, I think more than anything else, uh, people are looking to, to mm. have these problems solved and addressed and 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 for people to um, return to some sense of civility and decency. It sounds like what you're describing is what you think California needs in a senator. When will you make the decision about whether or not you will want run? Are you waiting for Senator Feinstein to announce her retirement? Is your decision dependent upon whether she runs for re-election? Uh, you know, my focus right now, and I think this has had to be all of our focus, has been on these terrible storms that have been racking the state. Um, you know, people are, are, are drowning, um, losing their property, losing their lives, trying to recover. Um, and that's been my focus. Um, and I've been on the phone with FEMA and along with Jimmy Panetta, leading uh, California delegation efforts to get the president to do what he just did, which is yeah. make a major disaster declaration uh, so that people can apply for grants to rebuild their homes and their businesses. So that's been my, my pr- priority yeah. right now. And But I do expect to have something uh, more to say in the near future. Did you find the timing problematic of Orange County Representative Katie Porter's announcement? Because California was in the eye of those atmospheric river storms. That was what some reporting suggested. Well, uh, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I think when your state is um, being pounded by a uh, almost unprecedented natural disaster. That's where our focus uh, needs to be. And I'm, I'm glad that the uh, I'm looking outside the, the window here and I see the sun and yeah. a break in the clouds. And, and I'm told there's more of that on the way. Uh, thank God for that. Um, but, uh, but I think when, when people are suffering, 
that really ought to be the focus of our attention. Yes, the storms are over. You are thinking about whether or not you will run. I guess at least have you decided, will you only run if Dianne Feinstein does not? Uh, you know, the, because I'm not prepared to make any announcement uh, today, I, I do appreciate the questions. But uh, but I do want to say this about Senator Feinstein. Um, she and I have worked together closely for many years. Uh, she was the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence uh, for years while I was the top Democrat uh, on the House Intelligence Committee. Um, I feel like I've been in the trenches and, and uh, through the storms, both literal and figurative, with Senator Feinstein. I just have tremendous respect for her. I want to make sure that, that anything I do demonstrates that respect for her because um, she deserves it. Um, she has been a phenomenal um, senator for the state, continues to be. And, um, and so anything I do, I want to um, be respectful of uh, her incredible legacy. Well, about the storms that we had been experiencing, they have claimed at least 20 lives. They've devastated property. They've caused widespread power outages. We're hearing the damages may be in the billions. So what are you doing to help us deal with this? Um, we are facing also weather extremes that will continue to worsen across our state with climate change, Congress membership. Uh, you know, a couple of things. In the sort of immediate term uh, over the last uh, you know, few weeks while we've been enduring this, uh, I've been on the phone with constituents, with mayors uh, throughout the region and, and many throughout the state, uh, finding out what they need. Uh, I've been in uh, communication with FEMA, uh, urging them to uh, accelerate assistance uh, to our cities and our counties, to residents, um, asking them what more they need from Congress, uh, what we can do to accelerate things. Um, when it became apparent that uh, in order for individual homeowners and business owners to get help rebuilding, there needed to be a major disaster declaration. Um, I uh, worked to organize uh, the California delegation to urge the administration to make such a declaration. The president has now done that. Um, that declaration provides aid to three counties. Um, there's a formula for, for how much damage you have to have before you can get that kind of assistance. And I do want to say to listeners um, it's very important to get information to your local government about any damage you've sustained because those losses will determine whether um, your county will qualify for certain assistance. So uh, that's the, the, the kind of work I think our members of Congress uh, need to be doing right now uh, to make sure that we get the maximum amount of help to those who need it. We are talking with Congressman Adam Schiff, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Dale in San Francisco. Dale, you're on. Dale, you're on? All right, we'll try to see. Let's go to Rob in San Francisco as well. Hi, Rob, you're on. Thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, Representative Schiff. I uh, was really imp impressed with uh, hearing you working on the, uh, the different committees regarding the Trump impeachment and also the investigation into all the shenanigans that have been going on. Um, but my question is kind of a general government question. And I know that it is expensive to run for office and a lot of money is required. And so, unfortunately, it seems like everybody that runs for office has to have their hand out along the way to collect campaign contributions so that they can afford to buy media time and everything. But it's getting to the point where it feels like the 
process of governing is so polluted and corroded by the influence of this money that we don't feel as average people that our interests are ever represented anymore. They're always represented by the special interests that are paying the bills. You know, you don't get gun reform anymore. You don't get immigration reform. We don't get drug price controls. We don't get so many things as average people in this country because it may um, be against what one of these industry special interests wants for their uh, constituents. And so we feel like we're left out of the loop. We really need campaign finance reform. And I know that requires, you know, people voting against something that is going to hurt these campaign finance donors. So it's, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Do you think we'll ever have real campaign finance reform in our lifetime? Rob, thanks. Uh, it's a great question. And um, indeed, the, the very first bill I introduced in Congress, and um, this, this may, you may remember this bill, it seems kind of quaint now, um, was called McCain-Feingold. It was designed to attack a problem of soft money uh, in elections uh, at the time in which you were limited in what you could uh, contribute. But if you did an ad that didn't urge you to vote for or against a candidate, but merely um, said, as, as the ads targeting me said, call Adam Schiff and tell him X, Y, or Z, but was clearly meant to um, campaign against me uh, or campaign for me, for that matter. Uh, that was called soft money, and there were no limits on soft money. Uh, John McCain, uh, Russ Feingold gathered together on a bipartisan basis to introduce legislation in the Senate to outlaw that. Uh, I found uh, a Republican colleague, Mark Kirk of Illinois, and we introduced the House version of McCain-Feingold, and that eventually became law. Um, I have introduced uh, repeatedly and will be introducing again this week uh, legislation to overturn Citizens United, and not just Citizens United, but a whole line of cases going back to a Supreme Court case called Buckley versus Vallejo. Um, in Buckley versus Vallejo, the Supreme Court looked at two post-Watergate reforms, one that put limits on contributions and one that put limits on expenditures. And in Buckley, the court decided that money was equivalent to speech. Um, I don't agree with that, but they, that's what they decided. Uh, and therefore, the only way to put a limit on money uh, is if you could show a compelling state interest. Um, they found that there was a compelling state interest to limit contributions to a candidate because that could corrupt the candidate. But with respect to what's called an independent expenditure made on behalf of a candidate, they decided that because that was made independent of the candidate, it couldn't corrupt the candidate, and therefore it struck down that Watergate reform. That was a terrible mistake. Uh, Citizens United just made that mistake worse by allowing uh, you know, the unrestricted flow of corporate and dark money. But the, the fundamental problem is under, under those court decisions, uh, you can't put a limit on expenditures, which is crazy. Uh, it means that if you're limited in contributing, let's say, $100 to a candidate, you can spend $100 million on behalf of that same candidate and do so under the Supreme Court decision. So my bill would overturn that whole line of cases. Uh, it's a constitutional amendment because that's what would be necessary, barring a dramatic change to the Supreme Court. But I'll tell you this. I also support increasing the size of the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court now is the most unrepresentative body um, in the country. Uh, and it has not a, a conservative agenda, but a partisan reactionary agenda, um, a socially divisive agenda. Uh, and, 
And so this is a result of Mitch McConnell having stacked the court uh, by withholding an appointment from Obama, um, Merrick Garland, uh, and jamming the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett uh, on the court when people were voting for Joe Biden. So I think we both need to expand the court to deal with this, uh, but we also need a constitutional amendment uh, if we're really going to have meaningful action on this. One last point. <laughs> Forgive me, Congressman Chip, it still yes. sounds like you are making the case for a Senate run. Um, sorry, one last point because we really only just have a minute or so left. One last point is, short of a constitutional amendment, there's still meaningful things that can be done. And the Disclose Act, which would require at least disclosure of contributions uh, and expenditures, would be very, very important. Well, I appreciate you coming on with the fact that you are fighting laryngitis and all, and all. So I will end with this nice comment from Nancy, who writes, Please tell Congressman Schiff how much we appreciate his work, especially on the impeachment and the January 6th committee. The haters may be loud, but many, many of us are relieved that he's in D.C. protecting our democracy. Catherine also wants to thank you as well for all your hard work towards helping to make sure Americans have access to truthful information, Catherine writes, but also wants to know, are there plans to improve on critical messages, meaning that Catherine has felt that Democrats are not good at giving a unified message of what the party does, say, to help the poor and working classes and to counter false messages from Republicans? This is a a very important point, and I uh, completely agree with the premise, which is we have not been very good or effective on message, uh, and that has to change. Um, They have the advantage, frankly, of Fox as a huge amplifier. Uh, There's nothing equivalent uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle. That just means we're going to have to be far better at it. But the first step is recognize the problem, and I completely agree with your diagnosis. We have to be far more succinct on our message, and and that's just going to have to improve. Well, Congress Member Schiff, we appreciate you being so accessible to us. Thank you. Adam Schiff, Los Angeles Congressman, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for your questions and comments. Thank you, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment, You've Been Listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? 
The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.